Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. I'll try to, to uh, explain, I think, that the first thing I can remember, really, um, before the age of five was color and pictures. And sometimes those pictures moved. And my background, my, my education, my primary, edu primary education was based in um, a Roman Catholic um, grammar school in New York. And then uh, at the age of 15 or 16, a preparatory seminary here in New York, but uh, I wanted to be a priest um, for a long period of time. Uh, the, uh, the problem with the seminary, for some reason, mid-year, mid I think I was becoming adolescent, I never, I, I, I never really applied myself as much as I wanted to and uh, was expelled from the, universe, from that, uh, from the uh, seminary, along with a, f a, few other, a few other boys who later on went back and became priests. And um, uh, I completed that um, high school in, uh, in Cardinal Hayes High School in the Bronx. But my grades were so bad, uh, they were so bad, so pulled down from the first year and a half uh, of, um, of high school uh, years that uh, uh, when I applied for Fordham, I was in the lower quarter of my graduating class and couldn't get in. And so, at the same time, another education had been taking place all along. Having suffered from asthma as a child, um, I was uh, constantly uh, uh, put in movie theaters by my parents because I couldn't play sports uh, or put in front of the television. And the television at that time showed many uh, feature films. And I became, uh, in a sense, I, I didn't realize I was becoming educated in, in, uh, in actual film history by all of this. And what I, what I think happens here is that, in a sense, by 1960, they, uh, there's a great coincidence because at the same time, when I uh, couldn't get into Fordham, I, I said, well, let me see about these other universities that uh, have a basis in English and, and uh, also teach uh, something which was kind of new at the time, film, film uh, production and film history. And there weren't many courses uh, and there weren't many places at the time doing that in the East Coast. The only place was New York University. And uh, I, I applied and got in. And at the same time, in 1960s, there was a very special thing that was happening in film all over the world. It was called the New Wave. The Italian films by Vantagnoni and... Uh, the young Bertolucci and uh, Bellocchio and uh, Fellini, um, the French films of Godard and Truffaut and all of them, were all, were all culminating at the same time so that I was having, in a sense, the inspiration was coming from two places, the university and the theaters. And I think some amount of luck is involved. And that is, for example, the inspiration was a key element in the teachers I got, the teachers I found. And the first class I took was a uh, class at New York University called the History of Motion Pictures, Television, and Radio. Now, mind you, these were elective courses. They were, they were very, they were, you, couldn't, you couldn't really take that much uh, uh, film in the first two years. Uh, it was mainly liberal arts. And then the third year and the fourth year, you, you specialized. But uh, Haig Mnugian was my teacher. And uh, the minute he walked out on the stage and started explaining the history of motion pictures, I was sort of hooked. And I actually had uh, the presumption to think that maybe I could uh, combine the two. Because I was really thinking of uh, finishing up at New York University and going back to the seminary. I said, maybe I can combine the two. Maybe I can be presumptuous enough to think that I could actually uh, use the films as, a, uh, as one would use a pulpit or, or, write on the, or speak on the street corner about God. And at the same time, in the theaters, I was being taught by people like Orson Welles and John Ford and Ingmar Bergman and a very, very special person who later became a friend and a great teacher, again, John Cassavetes. And when Cassavetes made his first picture here in the streets of New York around 1958-59, released in 60, it was called Shadows. He actually, I was a film student at the time, 62, by the time I saw it. 
and he actually made you believe that you can make a film. Because uh, if you haven't tried, no matter how planned you are, when you get there for the first time, when you have no money, you're shooting in the street or you're shooting somewhere in a small studio, you realize that you're in a lot of trouble. You know, and, you, and you have to have a lot of tenacity to keep going and a lot of inspiration. And the inspiration came from him and uh, from a number of other people who were making low-budget films at that time in Europe and, and, and New York and Los Angeles. Um, all this activity, all this great activity, the university and uh, 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 the new wave and uh, the American underground fueled this motivation. I mean, you have to understand, too, uh, that when I decided to go to New York University, it was very difficult to my parents who were garment district uh, workers. And uh, so we had to work and get student loans, and uh, they had to stay in their jobs for a few more years and uh, couldn't retire. Um, eventually, with the two or three of the short films I made there at NYU, I got, I got, a, I got some uh, uh, prizes that were about $600 each in, in uh, uh, scholarships. And uh, uh, what I did then by 64, uh, after the short films, I decided I had to make a first feature. And what eventually happened, the three, the two short films, I should say, were, were, were very successful in terms of uh, awards in different universities and different places around, around the world. But I tried to do a feature, and the feature is now called Who's That Knocking at My Door? I started shooting that in 65. Uh, it was a complete failure. Uh, Haig Mnugin, my old teacher, came back around 67 and told me he'd like to continue as a producer and help me finish the film. So I finished shooting it in 67, rewritten, new stars. Um, that was a failure. And eventually, we, um, uh, we got it released in 1969. Uh, and uh, it was the, the first, uh, the theater, I believe, was Carnegie Hall Cinema here in New York. But you have to understand, it was an underground film. It was like a rough sketch of uh, what, what Mean Streets became later. And uh, at the same time, I was trying to write Mean Streets. And it had gone through so many revisions, myself and Mardik Martin, my, my co-writer. Um, and I would think that those years, having been graduated from the university in 65, and up to the point of 1972, those six or seven years were the roughest. And what I had in my mind was a clear determination um, uh, that I was a director, uh, even though the feature was a failure. Uh, I knew why it was a failure, but uh, I still needed to get it distributed. And what I did during that period to try to, um, try to uh, uh, earn a living, because I was married and had a child, uh, was uh, uh, work as a, a writer and an editor, a film editor. And uh, my determination was such that I, I guess it you know, would be considered rather selfish in a way because, of course, I never took a job. I didn't take any job that had nothing to do, if it didn't have anything to do with film. And in some cases, I took jobs in film with no money so that I would get to know the people and work with the people and attend every dinner I can get my hands, uh, get, get into and, and uh, get to every cocktail party and try to drum up money because at that time, independent filmmaking, like now to a certain extent, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, activity in the independent film here in America. And uh, I remember one job I really liked, I had for six weeks in the summer. I was an assistant assistant editor at uh, CBS News. And uh, that time I was still using film. And at the end of the six weeks, I was sort of an apprentice, at the end of the six weeks there was a kindly uh, old gentleman who was in charge of the editors and who took me aside in his office and asked me, he said, now uh, we'd like you to stay on. And uh, I was still in my mind, but that was 66, I was still trying to get the second half of my feature finished. And I said, uh, well, no, you don't understand. I'm a director, and I've got, got this picture I want to finish, you know. And he was very, very sweet, and he said, uh, he said look, you know, uh, uh, you're young now, but as you get older, you realize that certain dreams that you have, well, it's just not going to happen, you know. And uh, take the advantage, take advantage of the situation now, and come on. And uh, it's the best advice I could give you. But I must have been, I, I don't know, I must have been really... Uh, 
so determined because I didn't even take a second, uh, it didn't even phase me at all. I said, my God, what, is he, what are you talking about? I'm a director. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand what he wants. <laughs> but he was very sweet. And I, th th I say that, I tell you that story because no matter what happens, I mean, those six, seven years were murder in terms of trying to get these pictures made and trying to get into festivals and get the name known so that I can get more money to make another feature. Uh, no matter what happened, uh, I didn't let anyone talk me out of it. In fact, eventually, the first feature, Who's That Knocking at My Door, was released in 1969, and, as I said, in Carnegie Hall Cinema here in New York, and also in a theater in Los Angeles, where Roger Corman saw it, and I was able then to get a, um, a first feature from Roger Corman called Boxcar Bertha, which was an exploitation film. Now, uh, I had moved out to California by that time because... Uh, in 1969 was a key year for me because I also was an editor on the film Woodstock, a rock, rock and roll documentary, musical. And uh, that enabled me to get a job as an editor on another documentary, in, in a musical documentary in California. And at the same time, Who's at Knocking had opened there, Roger Corman saw it, so I was there to meet Roger, and he said, when you finish this documentary, uh, you could direct this film. And it took about, of course, I, by that point, I, would, I didn't believe anybody, you know, nine years of this. So uh, I waited and uh, worked on it. I uh, worked on the documentary and I uh, became friends with John Cassavetes and John put me on for about two weeks. I remember two weeks as a sound effects editor in one of his films, Minnie and Moskowitz, when I had finished the other documentary and I was waiting for these calls and finally the call did come. And I went, did the film, I learned how to make a picture that way. I learned how to make a picture because when I'm talking about Who's That Knocking, the film I made first, it took three years to make, that's when you use the school's, uh, the school's uh, uh, equipment, uh, actors weren't paid, uh, you know, you didn't know how to light it, uh, and you, were, you, you shot the film when you had the time and when you can get the actor, when you can calm him down because the poor guy was always, you know, complaining. He had, a, he had another life, he said. How dare he? But anyway, uh, we wound up, uh, we wound up uh, shooting Bosco Bertha in Arkansas for 20, 24 days. And I learned how to stay on schedule and how to prepare a film completely, drawings, etc. And uh, the next key point came when uh, I showed the rough cut to John Cassavetes, who, who uh, afterwards embraced me and said it was a very sweet film. He said, but don't do that again. He said, you're better than that. He said, you're better than that. Don't you have a picture you want to do? He said, I know you like all these B-film directors and Hollywood films, but you're better than that. What do you, what, don't you have something you want to do? It's old, it's in the trunk. I said, yeah, well, it's Mean Streets I've been working on for years. He said, well, get it, do it, send it around. And within a year, I met Jonathan Taplin, who was the producer of the film, became the producer. He had come from Princeton and uh, raised the money, and uh, we got to make that picture. And I, I think I tell you that by, in terms of understanding what the tenacity is and never taking, uh, not taking no for an answer from anybody. And I think the best part was yet to come for me because I began to realize that ultimately the education and I talked earlier about inspiration and education being the two most important facts here, facets here. The education that I, I received um, is nothing to the one I'm getting now, I guess, because I realized that education, I realized a few years ago that education never stops. And, for example, what I mean by that is after making King of Comedy, uh, I had to relearn how to make a picture, and I made a film called After Hours to try to stay within budget on time, on schedule, etc. And uh, during that period, after hours, color, money, last temptation of Christ, a number of those films, I began to realize that uh, I'd get on the set, and even though I had it planned, I had every shot that was going to go a certain way, and I had all the ma drawings made, I knew exactly what I was going to do. When I got to the set to try to implement my idea, my vision, I realized how little I really know. And, it, and at first, it wasn't even embarrassing. At first, it was a little embarrassing, I must say. And then after that, after a while, you said, well, it's so great, because that sort of frees me. I don't know. I simply don't know. And... and it, it frees you for the rest, of, hopefully the rest of your life, where, where you can say this, uh, there's so much more to look forward to. There's so much more knowledge to, 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 to receive. And um, 
I say that also by thinking of the last great teacher that I knew, um, who was a great British director named Michael Powell, who uh, was responsible for a number of wonderful films made in the 40s and, and early 50s with a partner, Emmerich Pressburger. One of those films you may know, uh, The Red Shoes, which is, uh, I think, the best ballet film ever made in beautiful use of color like a painting. And uh, Michael uh, became, I became a friend of Michael's uh, in the last 15 years of his life. He died last year. And uh, his editor, uh, my editor, Thelma Schoonmaker, married him. And uh, Thelma would go to movies with Michael. He was 85 when he died. And Michael Powell, he, he, he was the, the, his films uh, between Powell and Pressburger during the 40s and 50s were so strong and so extraordinary. But by 1950s, the early 50s, the system changed, and he couldn't really exist within, that, within the new system. And so by 1962, he made a film called Peeping Tom uh, on his own, without Pressburger. And that, that was received with such um, anger and vehemence uh, by the British public and the American public that uh, he could never really get another film made. That was 62. And ever since then, though, he, he made a few other films nowhere near as good as the others. Um, but he never had a day that went by where he didn't have... He, he always had some project in mind, and he was always ready to do it to, to the last days, to the very last days, uh, until last year. And during that period, uh, uh, during the last... I'd say the past 10 years when, I, uh, when he lived in New York, um, Thelma would go to the movies with him. And she would always come back and she would say to me, well, I said, well, how was it last night? I said, no, he left after 10 minutes. He walked out. I said, well, he, why, why, didn't he, why, why did he stay? He said, no, he didn't leave. And eventually, because she began to tell me that he would look at a film and after 20 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever, sometimes he would leave, sometimes he would stay. And when he would leave, he'd walk out uh, with Thelma and he'd tell her, He'd say, you know, I learned nothing from that film. I learned nothing. And it's such a waste of time, you know. And at the age of 85, he was still learning. And uh, with that, I thank you and congratulate you all here today. Uh, Mr. Scorsese, uh, let me just say it's an honor to have you here today. Thank you. I, I feel very honored personally. Uh, I'd like to ask you this question in reference to your movie, The Last Temptation of Christ. Now, I know when this came out, this was, uh, this was, how shall I say, it, it, was, it was definitely controversial, and it wasn't exactly well-received. I remember some protests, and, and I know a lot of video places still won't even rent it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Now, now what, is, what, is, what is your reaction as an artist when your audience, like, re receives your work that way? Well, one has to understand. I mean, uh, I certainly didn't expect the picture to have such a... Uh, uh, a reaction on that level, and uh, uh, although I had tried to get the film made for maybe 15 years, and uh, we hadn't we hadn't been able to do it because a lot of theaters claimed that they wouldn't show it. Um, of course, not having read the script or whatever, still they they felt that they might have. They had difficulty with all religious films. They they felt uh, one film, Muhammad, uh, Messenger of God, um, all the way back to the early 50s, Martin Luther. There was a film by Louis de Rochemont. And uh, it caused uh, pickets, and uh, they, they, they got very upset. And in certain cases, I mean, we had much, more, much greater difficulty in England, um, France, and uh, not too bad in Italy, but in France, theaters were burned. And uh, it, it, was, it's, it, it became, a, of course, they hadn't seen the film, became a political, a political tool. Uh, we never, never thought of that. We never, never realized that it would be that, that difficult. But you have to understand, and I, I, I say I have to understand that one is dealing with a very sacred, sacred concepts. This is something that people hold, uh, it's their savior. And, uh, but mine too, you see. And uh, my idea was to try to make it immediate and accessible for today. 
uh, as accessible as uh, me, me speaking here, let's say, and to use the screen as a pulpit in a way, um, to a certain extent, to, to, make, to uh, understand and to begin a, a very, very open discussion of the nature of God in the society today. I mean, that was my, my idea for Also, beyond that, was extremely selfish. I, want, I wanted to, uh, I thought uh, foolishly that, that uh, trying to make a film of this kind would be almost tantamount to having a religious experience. And uh, when you try to get everybody there on time in the morning and, you know, get the cross up and so it, it, it's certainly not, uh, it's not, you know, I can tell you, uh, going over budget, over schedule, it's a nightmare. And I think towards the end, towards the very end, as I was finishing the editing, I suddenly, suddenly, when Peter Gabriel put his music in, I think eventually that's, I got fairly close to what I thought, but uh, it was really a film to, to begin open, uh, honest and, and uh, hopefully um, uh, very sincere discussions about the nature of God and our relationship to God. And as far as, uh, I, I mean, the blockbuster video doesn't, uh, doesn't run it. I mean, they, they don't, you can't, borrow, you can't uh, rent it from them, a uh, number of people. I think that's mainly because uh, ultimately, ultimately I think it's a problem of, uh, of uh, causing uh, difficulty. I mean, they don't want the store bomb, they, or, you know, or uh, I, I'm quite honestly too, why, I mean, I, I didn't realize there was going to be such a, such a, uh, uh, a situation there, but quite honestly, I mean, who really wants to go to a movie when people are yelling at you online and that sort of thing? I mean, the film was only released for a few weeks, I think, or a couple of months. But, I mean, my intention was clear in making the picture, and um, one has to sort of write it off and ho hope that in the future it would be seen in, uh, properly. Hello, Mr. Scorsese. Hi. Um, I was just wondering, in your films, the cinematography is so unusual and adds so much to the films. How much control do you as the director take over the cinematography? Well, um, as I said, in the, in the uh, 60s, um, I, I try to earn my living as an, uh, a writer and an editor. I, I, have, I was weak, and I'm weak in one area, I always feel, and that's the cinematography, the understanding of what image, of what kind of an image you can get on film uh, with, with light. Um, the actual chemical understanding, I don't have that. I, can I, I know what I want, I know what I feel in terms of lighting. Uh, as far as the camera moves and the angles, uh, this is something um, out of, that was born out of an insecurity or maybe out of the very, very first uh, uh, stories I had as a, uh, wanting to be an artist. Uh, when I said, uh, first I remembered color and pictures, uh, drawing, and I like to draw. So I drew every, I usually draw everything, or now it's gotten to actual, um, actually, uh, uh, it's really doing a lot of homework and a lot of preparation. Pre-production is really the key phase of any production for me. And I now draw, make little drawings and make uh, 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 shot lists. And I work, I'm lucky enough to work with uh, sometimes some camera, uh, some directors of photography who worked with me before, like Michael Ballhouse and, uh, and in, the, in the 70s, Michael Chapman. And they understand what I want, they understand my style. But the shots are very, very clear, very clear and usually worked out way in advance. Um, and that's, um, that's just uh, uh, something to be considered in terms of, uh, of the budget and the... Uh, um, well, the budget and the time that you spent on shooting a picture. Uh, I hope you don't mind me asking this, but I'm just amazed by the number of incredibly successful people here, like yourself, who seem to have had a rough time in high school, or a really rough time in your early years. I'm just wondering if this is a coincidence, or if this, that kind of experience is really important in shaping your Life. No, I, mean, I, I don't think. I don't want to give the impression that you should have a bad time in education because then you'll be successful. No, it's <laughs> no. The trick, the trick was. I mean, it's really trying to find, find a way, 
And to never, never have, I think, never, never be discouraged. Never be discouraged. You go up one area and it's cut off from you and move another way. And as I said, for me, the religion and the, uh, uh, the film became uh, mixed together. And uh, it was a determination to, to uh, uh, it was a desire and a motivation, I think, that remained very, very strong till now. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you, Sue. Thank you. Thank you very much.